0: Maybe I hate my city right now. Maybe there's construction all over my street. The subway is never on time. Maybe there are so many cabs all over the street, I can't even cross the street without being afraid of being hit, and it's raining, and my umbrella just broke, and just kind of all of these, I'm just thinking of like kind of my worst day in New York. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I am your host today, Megan Henry. And today I'm joined again by Sherry Bellitz of Sherry Bellitz Communication. Uh, she's been on a number of times, but also joining us today is Chris Dickerson, who works for the city of New York um, and has worked there for a number of years and you know, I, I really wanted to have him and Shariam because they are both New Yorkers, they love New York, they they have such a passion for the city. But also, you know, Chris has a different perspective because he he works at the city in New York and defending a public entity is much different from private entity. So I wanted to talk to both of them about um, the implications of that. So, with that said, let's bring them in. Good morning, Chris and Sherry. Welcome to the Defense Never Rest. I'm so excited to have, have you on this morning. Um, and for our listeners today, we're here to talk about um, really Chris Dickerson, who's been with the city of New York for, I don't know, Chris, how many years have you been with the city?
2: 24.
1: So 24 years, which is so impressive. Um, and I I congratulate you on that. That's that's amazing. Um, but, you know, defending, I I defend a lot of, you know, private entities. So um, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is not only just Chris and his career, but how defending a private entity is a little bit different from uh, a public entity. And Sherry's here to weigh in on how that, you know, that can affect, you know, prepping your witnesses and, you know, the perception of the jury. So um, having said all that, let's get in and just talk, talk to Chris. So, so I brought Sher- Sherry's a good friend of mine, and I had mentioned I talked to you a few weeks ago, and she said, "Oh my God, he's a legend." And I said, "Well then, you're coming on." <laughs> <laughs> so with that, you know, now you have to live up to you know the picture that Sherry's painted for you. Um, but you know, how did you start your your career as an attorney?
2: Well, number one, I'm not an attorney. Okay. So um, I started in this business, in this industry, uh, about, about 35 years ago. I, I'm, I'm younger than, than, uh, than what you think. Uh, or, or older than what you think. So uh, initially, I started doing this kind of work when I worked for uh, ATT. and t And in at t they had a claims administration office. And What they did there was um, uh, handle mostly business claims, but then we also had personal injury claims for injuries that happened in the office or in sidewalks. And um, they asked me if I would do that. And I said, sure, it sounded interesting. So I started doing it and it was interesting. And I liked negotiating, Uh, I liked talking and working with uh, good lawyers um, such as you guys and, uh, and so I stayed in that field until they offered me an early retirement uh, at 16 years. And I said, okay, I'll take that. So I was pretty young. Uh, and I took the, the early retirement they offered to pay for my schooling, the rest of my schooling, and uh, a, a two-year salary. And I thought that was a good deal. So I took that. And then uh, after about a year and a half or so, I went to i was living in denver at the time i moved to los angeles uh, santa monica which i loved and i got a job with twa and so they wanted me to do the same kinds of things and so um, i worked in claims administration there Uh, they put me on the emergency response team which uh uh, fortunately i never had to do which is is when a plane crashes you have to rush to the site You know, start doing the claims, start trying to compensate people uh, or the survivors and the families uh, and and take care of that aspect. uh, Like I said, unfortunately, I never had to do that. But um, I really love working for TWA because for a lot of the younger people, maybe you guys too, TWA stands stands for Trans World Airlines. That was an airline back in the day. Uh, they were bought by recently, you know, not recently, a few years ago, by American. So they forwarded it into American. Uh, and and so claims there, I had to travel around the world. They would say, we have a claim. Uh, somebody got hurt in Paris and we need you to go. And I said, okay, because I love to travel. <laughs> so I went to Paris and, and, and uh, Asia and went to Israel once. Uh, South America and, and North America. And I really loved that. I did that for about five years. Uh, and then they went bankrupt. Or they're compensating, or considering bankruptcy. And they moved our headquarters, which was here in Mount Kisco, New York, to St. Louis. And they asked me if I wanted to go to St. Louis. Uh, and I said, no, nothing against St. Louis. <laughs> I don't want Michael Young to get mad at me. But I I didn't want to move there after living in in Denver and L.A. and New York. So I said, thanks. So they said, okay, And they gave me a two-year pass. So I got to do free traveling on my own. And I was here in New York. So um, after a while, I got two or three months, I got a job with uh, Archdiocese of New York. Uh, Roman Catholic entity. One of the major, if not the major, uh, Catholic entity in, in America. Um, and same thing, we said uh, we would like for you to do claims and to our claims and make sure it's all working fine. And I said, okay, it sounded interesting. Uh, I'm not Catholic, but uh, I'm a little bit, I'm spiritual, I guess. And, and uh, so I, I, I welcome that challenge. I did that for not that long, about, about three years. Uh, things were happening there. This was right at the beginning of the, the priesthood abuse claims, and uh, at first I just couldn't believe it. I said, there's just no way, uh, but sure enough, that, that was true, and so we still had to deal with those. I didn't really like the way that things were being handled. so. Um, I was recruited at that time when I was there uh, to come to the city uh, in New York and and do the same thing here uh, by my my former boss, who's now retired. So um, I said, okay, I left the the archdiocese and I came to the city. And uh, I first came as a consultant because they wanted to try and see, you know, to get a handle on claims because the city wasn't really doing much on claims or insurance wise. just paying the claims so uh, my boss said you know there's got to be a better way than this he's a very very bright attorney and uh, we became pretty good friends so i came here as a consultant uh for a couple years and sure enough i didn't really think the city was handling their their claims and their contracts and insurance requirements that well if at all and so we started. Uh, we put together a, a practice um, wherein we were going to get insurance coverage on, on these cases, whatever they would do. And we had to fix a couple of things. We had to work with the controller's office. Controller, if you're going to sue the city, you have to file a notice of claim against the city uh, with the controller. That gives them the time to investigate it and, and set it up and all that. So we had, we started with the controller. At that time, we were getting late notice by insurance companies all the time. They would just say late notice because they knew that we weren't, you know, ready for that or practicing that yet. So we had to fix that with the controller. Uh, we had to fix our, our contracts because they were kind of vague and sometimes ambiguous. Uh, and we said, no, 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 if we're paying these contractors all this money, we need, strong contracts and strong insurance language. So we put that in there. And so we started administering that. Um, I had to meet with some of the city agencies, for instance, um, basically for administration for children's services, they handle our foster care cases and there were just tremendous cases uh, in the papers all the time and on the news about things that happened. It turns out that we have contracts with outside agencies for instance, uh, Catholic charities, or uh, the Jewish uh, society—all of these different entities that the city couldn't do on its own, and they contracted out to these agencies, and the agencies would then place the child. We hope in, a, in an appropriate home. Well, uh, that necessarily wasn't happening, and then the uh, insurance aspects weren't great either. So. We met with all of the agencies. We had them come all and come in, and we explained to them that it was a new day. We're gonna start handling these a little bit or a lot differently, uh, so that we all get insurance coverage, not just for you but for us as the city. And we pay billions of dollars on for, for, for these contracts, and I just couldn't understand why we never got insurance coverage. And, and so we educated them. And they start giving us notices in time and, and, and putting the carriers on notice in time, uh, letting me know so I would follow up with the carriers. Uh, and, and great things started to happen. The city hired, uh, the agency, ACS, hired lots of more um, professionals, professional social workers, things like that. And they cut their, their workload down. The agency started hiring a lot more professionals and paying much more attention to the stuff and now it's really really doing much better so that's something i feel really good about you don't get nearly as many claims um of course i have two kids and i know they're not kids now women and i have children so that was important to me uh that that be handled properly so that's where we started then uh We looked at other problem areas for the city uh, that just weren't getting uh, enough attention uh, insurance wise. Uh, For instance, we we looked at uh, traffic signals throughout the city. Every accident, they always blame the city. They always said, the traffic light wasn't working, there was nobody there and on and on and on. And the city was paying those claims. And I'm like, no, no, no. We paid, we paid the contractors, again, billions of dollars right. to maintain our traffic signals, the street posts, the street lamps, and all of that. And so we're going to start going and getting insurance coverage for this. And so we met with the traffic signal companies, told them the same thing. It's a new day, we're going to start doing this differently. Uh, uh, a lot of resistance from the carriers. Uh, right. Um, and so we we had to do lots and lots of DJs. Uh, finally, they said, you know, we're tired of uh, losing these DJs, <laughs> so uh, let's try and work out something. And so uh, we worked out something with them. We we only notice them the carriers when there is what I think is a valid claim. If we we have a whole system, Department of Transportation has a whole system wherein. And it's automatic these days for the traffic signals, how they work, what they're supposed to do, whether the contractor was noticed. Once in a while, a contractor's not noticed and if we didn't notice them, then that's on us. And and so I don't tend to those, but most of the time we do notice them and then they have a certain amount of time to get there and fix the problem. Uh, And so it's gotten much better don't see nearly as many claims on that either. Um, but there's still some. We don't see any of those. Well,
1: it seems like, you know, you came in to the city at a time that they needed, you know, a lot of help and a lot of change. And you kind of used, you know, you re- almost redirected and got things, things on track. That's what I'm hearing, at least. Do you agree, Ch- Sherry? I would absolutely <laughs> agree. It does. Um, the
0: city needs Chris. And Chris is... Um, It's funny. I I always think of Chris, it was good hearing about your whole career because I always think of you as the quintessential New Yorker. And that's one of the things Chris and I actually bonded over is our love of the city and our love of everything New York from the Yankees to the food to um, downtown, really all of it. So um, it was kind of interesting to hear a little bit about the before years. So
1: yeah, so, and touching on that, I, 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 when you were talking about working for TWA, which um, made me chuckle a little bit, when I, I, when I was growing up, my mom was a travel agent, and she would always have, like, calendars from airlines, and I was, like, I always called it TWA at the time, because we had a TWA calendar in our kitchen, but anyway, besides that, um, you know, how was it, the, those international claims, it, and I'd love to hear Sherry weigh in on this too. Like how how does that, and I know it was years ago, but how does that weigh in differently with, um, you know, as to litigating the claim and resolving the claim when you're dealing with something that happened in in France or somewhere somewhere internationally, like how is it different for you?
2: Well, uh, instead of having New York based or, or American based attorneys defend cases and, and consulting and working with them, we would have to hire French uh, counsel. Right. For instance. And so as far as international law and all of that, we got to know a little bit, but we kind of left that up to them. Basically, uh, most of the time, I'm going to say 90% of the time, what the, the plaintiff wanted was a free ticket. <laughs> so, seriously. So, That's
1: so easily resolved. <laughs> yeah, we were like, huh? <laughs> We can do that. Ticket to where, though? <laughs> anywhere,
2: anywhere, uh, we, we would uh, give them a, a, a free ticket wherever they wanted to go, and they had a year uh, to travel, and then it could even be extended if they couldn't do that. So a lot of these cases uh, did not have to go litigate through the system. Uh, we had to answer, we had counsel answer. We fly over, we negotiate, and, and then um, most of those cases would settle with a free ticket. If yeah. If it didn't work, then we would end up settling out uh, of those cases. We never went to trial uh, for whatever amount of money that it took. Most of the time, it was never over
1: $100,000. Now, with that, you know, and I, I know I'm going to be overgeneralizing, but these... Individuals that are just looking for the free ticket—did you happen to see that there are more um, non-U.S. citizens? Like, is the U.S. just that much more litigious that we want money versus just we just want a ticket to fly someplace else?
2: Um, Yes, (laughs) it's far more litigious than anywhere else or America, Uh, and and New York is double where else I've been. As far as lawsuits and claims and all that, I think there's way too many lawyers in New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They would take cases that I wouldn't take.
1: What do you see on that, Sherry? Do you, like, as far as the litigious nature between the, the U.S. And, and, as Chris mentioned, New York, do you find that New York is, um, in your work, that much worse?
0: you know what, I'm going to answer this question, how I probably,
1: sort
0: of a lawyer, sort of a psychologist. It depends. And it's my bias, because I've been a New Yorker for 25 years. So of course, this is confirmation bias. This is what I'm seeing in my newspapers, this is like local news that I'm getting. So of course, um, it's going to look like from my eyes that New York is that much more litigious. Do I see some crazy lawsuits all over the country? I do, but again, my bias, I just get called in for those larger lawsuits. So I'm not gonna know about Mm -hmm. all the slip and falls that are happening in New Mexico or all of the smaller cases that may be going on in Iowa. Whereas in New York, I, you know, really have my finger on the pulse. I know what's going on just yeah. from reading the local news and talking to friends like Chris and local um, attorneys that I work with. So, yes, it always seems like New York is more litigious, but I wanted to kind of give you that bias via through my <laughs> lens.
1: I mean, I, I feel... From my experience, again, I think I'm biased because most my practices in the Philadelphia region um, that you know Philadelphia is awfully litigious versus other areas so maybe it's just that the metropolitan areas that get the larger impact of that Um, and maybe it's a sheer volume of people. um, That you know you get more numbers there's more people. So there's more lawsuits.
0: I was going to say there is a greater group dynamic. People are living close together. People are traveling close together. Um, Infrastructure gets worn down. Like Chris probably knows, like every pothole, every um, construction site. It's just, um, it's a more crowded way of living. I I love it. I, I think Chris does probably as well. We've lived here a long time. I feel like it's like New York. You kind of love it or hate this kind of living. Um, I thrive and get my energy from it, but it is, it definitely lends itself to a lot of litigation. I mean, I have neighbors complaining all the time, like if someone's loud or someone's bouncing a ball or someone's, um, you know, in our backyard shared area. And then, um, don't start me on the subway when it's too crowded. Like uh, we've both probably seen some crazy things. And of course there's always something under construction in New York and I would assume most metropolitan areas. So I do think it's a numbers issue. I do think it's uh, people are living a lot closer and you just have a group dynamic. That's kind of unusual when you think about other yeah. areas of the country where you're spaced out a little further.
1: Yeah, I think
2: that's such a good point. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Sometimes it, it, it people forget about that. And I think, oh, or people will say, there's so many lawsuits in here. And, but then when you think about it, there's probably 8 million in the metro area, or, or in the city, and then 20 in the metro area. And, and then we have all of these, between uh, and then we have all these visitors. Mm. So who come here. And so really, percentage-wise, Probably very, very small of of the amount of of lawsuits that we get versus the amount of people. Our job, of course, is to handle those, and it seems like a lot. But I remind people that you know last year there was twenty million people that vacationed in New York, and so we have two thousand claims. Yeah, you know it's a very small percentage.
1: Well, and if you think about though the the sheer uh, volume of concrete. That you have throughout the city, and the number of people walking over that concrete, and you know someone trips and falls on a allegedly broken curb, they're gonna sue the property owner, the tenant, and the city. And think how I mean, the, just the volume of area plus people, you know, that's just going to exponentially increase the number of suits, because the city, I mean, is always going to be joined in that. You're always going to be a defendant in that, or more likely than not, I would say, than always.
2: I, I think you're right. And, and uh, um, similar to what, what Sherry was saying, the city is always doing construction. The city spends 20 to $30 billion a year on construction, various projects, um, most of the infrastructure projects But we build, uh, you know, we did a whole remodeling uh or of our park system. Now you can bicycle all the way around Manhattan, these very beautiful parks. Well, to get there, you know, a lot of construction for that. Right. And um, then the city also does all this social services stuff, which I'm just amazed at, at how much the city spends on social services, foster care, uh, community development. They, they do a lot of that. And uh, so that exposes you to a lot of claims. And and the infrastructure is major because we do the street milling. And those are probably the most cases I see. We have to come up with something to deal with those because it, the city goes through and they repave the streets. They have to pull up the asphalt mm. and they they repave it. And it's, it's very labor intensive and it's frankly kind of a mess <laughs> while they're pulling on the asphalt up. Uh, and, and so we get all of these unwitnessed claims uh, where people tripped and fell, uh, allegedly on a, a street. So we have contractors uh, for that, too. And so I'm trying to think about, you know, what we're going to do. We, we pay these guys a ton of money, and included in that is the insurance. Um, and we're uh, trying to figure out how we're going to have to deal with those uh, some will we'll deal with those
1: right, right now. Yeah. Well, you're almost damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Because if you don't do the repairs and you have the construction, then there's going to be, you know, complaints about, you know, people falling on broken, falling apart concrete, whatever it may be. If you do do it, then you get people complaining that one, there's construction, it takes longer to get from point A to point B, but also, you know, then you have the open up liability of construction. Casualty lawsuits and you know that there's it's every every angle there's there's potential you know (laughs) liability for you.
2: Exactly right Megan And, and for instance in foster care if you hear or a doctor or a teacher or somebody hears or thinks there might be abuse and the city investigates it and finds out that there was not any or we don't have any evidence they call it unfounded and then Immediately after that, the child was abused or, or killed in worst cases, I've seen uh, We're sued for that. So yeah. you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Yeah. So that's, it's that way in, in most all of this stuff. And you just, you just have to do uh, the best that you can. And uh, we're we actually are doing a pretty good job. I've had uh, counsel from Houston, Texas, uh, Los Angeles, and Chicago come in and, and visit us and see what we're doing how we're,
1: really uh, good for you that's well I, I actually wanted to touch on the foster care point um because I, I mean those have to be they're such heartbreaking cases to to defend and to be up against um and you know and, and I kind of want to direct this to to you sherry you know ha, in in your your work I mean I'm sure you've come across these types of cases and they have that big emotional aspect to them. Um, You know, and how do you see that plays in the the emotional aspect of, you know, an abuse situation in a foster care um, will play towards, you know, a private and public entity. Like, who do you think is sitting better in, or, you know, has a better defense, so to speak, um, when you have those emotions running high?
0: Well, I think that's a really interesting question, Megan. And right before we started this podcast where I knew we were going to be talking about public entities versus private entities, I was kind of going on in my head and thinking a little bit, just kind of comparing the two with respect to juror perception and with respect to litigation and litigation strategy. And um, it's a very interesting type of situation when you have a city sued and you have people from that city who are on your jury, because think about that in the private world, that would be as if a corporation was sued and everyone on that jury worked at that corporation. So if the city is sued and I'm sitting on the jury, I'm someone with, and everyone else is someone, you sort of have almost an inherent conflict of interest and you have to really approach your witnesses. And especially in these abuse cases, there's whole other layers to that. And if if we're talking about children and we're talking about um, something like cross-examination, that's kind of a whole other layer. But the analysis with the public and private is, You have a jury of New Yorkers and New York is a defendant. So you're really going to want to query the jury about their feelings about the city. And you may find that there are some very, very positive um, feelings. Chris and I have talked about, not in the context of litigation, but we've talked about just our love for this city and everything our city has been through and we've both been through 9 11 and the financial crisis occupy wall street um now living through this pandemic and you know as you see chris is at work i'm at home so he's even more so probably taking transit and really living the life of a real new yorker and you have a a special love for your city, whether it's New York or whether it's another city. So you have um, that sympathy factor for the defendant city on your jury, which is much better than if you're talking about a corporation, because you're not gonna have an employee of that corporation sitting on that jury. They're gonna get kicked off for cause. But if you think about it, when a city is sued, you have all of the people um, who have some type of stake, but you're going to also have some more developed worldviews and attitudes where someone might not have such a strong feeling about a certain corporation. Let's say Johnson & Johnson is a defendant in a case. I may not have such a strong feeling one way or another, but you can bet if my city is on trial, I'm going to have a strong feeling. Maybe 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 I hate my city right now. Maybe there's construction all over my street and um, there there are rats um, and, and this has happened. Maybe, maybe there's garbage all over the street. Maybe um, the subway is never on time. Maybe there are so many cabs all over the street. I can't even cross the street without being afraid of being hit and it's raining and my umbrella just broke and just kind of all of these. I'm just thinking of like kind of my worst day in New York and Chris can um, probably confirm you know you have these days where you're like I hate this city so
1: <laughs> move it, into the country
0: <laughs> exactly so you have um so you have attitudes where jurors will completely understand frustrations of that big city living but you're gonna also really have um As far as humanizing, we talk about humanizing the corporate defendant. You're going to really have um, an interesting dynamic there when you have a longtime resident of that city on a jury. And that's something you're going to want to ask too. New York, like many cities, they're transient cities. Um, Chris and I are a little bit of an anomaly that we've lived here so long. And I think that's why we have a bond about how much we love this place, but you know, there there are people, maybe they're here for school for a couple years. Maybe they want to try out that big job for a couple of years. Um, maybe they want to experience city living for a couple of years. So it's gonna be very important to query them on that. So back to those abuse cases, that is a whole other layer. Um, and there's a really big pre-trial publicity com- component with those cases so um there are cases Chris and I probably remember the same ones that are on the reel on New York one that are the front page of the post where maybe um they were investigated and nothing came up and it was everything was deemed okay and then a child was beaten to death or a child um you know, suffered some sort of tragedy at the hands of the parents or the caregivers or the family. And those are the cases we see on the news. I'm sure Chrissy is soup to nuts in his job, but those are the cases that your jury pool is going to see on the news. So you have a whole pre-trial publicity component. And so you really have a lot of layers. So you, um, to really sum up my short answer, as I like to say, to to sum up, you're going to have an unusual jury when you're talking about the city of New York or the city of anywhere as a defendant, because you are going to have people who have a real stake in that litigation, taxpayers, um, people that live there, they're going to have real opinions and worldviews and attitudes. This is not just like that detached corporation. And then of course, the big high profile abuse cases, where something catastrophic happens, you have that pre-trial publicity component. And then, of course, cases with children, cases with abuse, you have a whole different approach, a whole different strategy to litigation anyway when you're talking depositions, when you're talking cross-examination, when you're talking about that. This is very different than a construction case. So again, as I like to say, that's my short answer.
1: (laughs) Well, and that, I mean, I... I never thought of it that way and I'm so I'm so glad you kind of spelled it out because like I I just didn't think of it that that your jury is going to be the members of of your of your corporation so to speak and I think you know it would really change kind of how you pick your jury depending on uh, as it does in any case depending on the facts but I think you know as you described your your most terrible day walking through the city and if you have say like a trip and fall on a curb or something, you want to be real careful about how those people feel about the city because they might be like, yeah, man, every day I walk through and, you know, this happens and this happens and they just might be overly biased in a negative way, um, even if it's the city that they love.
0: Absolutely. And you also want to think about, um, I'm just going to compare myself to some neighbors that I used to have. I think it's a really good comparison because... I've been in New York for 25 years. Clearly I've seen some stuff here. Clearly I love this city if I've been here for that long. My neighbors um, came from New Orleans. They just came here for a little bit to kind of experience it. They're a little bit younger. Um, Their kids went to private school. My kids go to public school. Um, Things like that are going to show I don't want to say you can't be invested in your city if you happen to go to a private school or Catholic school or whatever it is, but things like that will kind of show um, yeah. your attitudes ab- about the city. So those are th- questions you're going to want to ask in voir dire. Those are things that you're going to want to to have in mind, like I would probably rather have, and again, I'm completely generalizing. I have no idea what kind of hypothetical case we're talking about, but you see these these kind of like just long-term New Yorkers who have been here forever, who have seen everything, done everything. They see the naked cowboy walk by. They don't even look um, a second time because been there, done that. They see celebrities, kind of nothing phases them. I'm going to want them rather than the person who is here for the experience. Maybe they're, you know, doing a couple years in New York for a large company. They'll move on somewhere else. Um, And again, very case specific, but I'm just kind of giving you like a general gestalt picture of that New York juror that I think is going to have a personal
1: stake in the city what do you think chris do you you agree
2: oh i absolutely agree and and i'm just kind of um, i guess not surprised at sherry's brilliance but uh, (laughs) (laughs) but that is what she said is so true and you you have to be very careful uh when you're picking your jury because us old timers like about the same time as and i can't remember my my california friends and my colorado friends that you're going to hate new york people are mean, it's too crowded, blah, blah, blah. And I got here, looked around and went, I love this place. <laughs> there's, there's so much to do here and on and on. And so I, I love New York. But, you know, when you have a, when you have a case and it's going to try, you do want to try and, and find out from your jury what their feelings are uh, for the city. Most old-timers like us love the city. But there are people who are very mad at the city for whatever reason. Um, our Department of Education is not the most loved. <laughs> uh, I think they're doing a great job, but that is something that is just very, very sensitive to a lot of people. Uh, and they may hate uh, Department of Education, so you wouldn't want that kind of a person uh, on, your, on your journey. Uh, uh, police. Uh, I happen to think that we have a great police force uh, I see these guys talk to people that uh, a cop in New York wouldn't bother, or in Colorado, wouldn't bother talking to. They they're in a the car number one, and we just drive by. Here in New York, I've seen like, interactions, and, and I think our police are uh, great. Uh, however, you have the instances where things happen, and uh, uh, we had one instance where a, a police officer, a couple of them, decided. To, uh, to to use a broomstick on a guy. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, it was very, very ugly. And, and so a, a case like that, you, you're not going to try. You, I would recommend that you not spray that, um, unless it's been, the man is just outrageous. You're going to have to settle those. So police, you got to be careful. But um, I think most New Yorkers love the police, here I really do. Uh, I live in Harlem. Uh, I see the police all the time <laughs> and, and I'm happy to see the police. and, and they interact well with the community uh, to my knowledge, best as I say. And I'm around all over Harlem. And we don't have a whole lot of instances. but um, so I, I think it's true. I think most New Yorkers love and respect the police. but um, in a case like that, first of all, can't get insurance coverage. We actually priced that. We asked, uh, we went out and, and, and sought bids on how much uh, coverage we could get and how much it would cost for the whole city. And the came back and said $2 billion a year. And we said, we don't pay that much out. <laughs> and we don't. We pay typically, uh, for mostly for non cover places, between $500 million and a billion. Uh, and so we said, no, uh, we, we don't want to do that. We'll just handle our claims the way that we do and do the best that we can. So, my short answer to what Sherry said <laughs> is, is I'm, I'm amazed by her brilliance. And uh, uh, I would like to use, I was thinking of her services in different cases, but maybe as a, a trial consultant or something, um, some way we've got to you know, get your, your, your assistance there.
1: Everyone needs some Sherry in their life.
2: Yeah, you know. It would be. Um, I, to, do, to do these lyrics and, and sing and be happy. I don't know if she does it.
0: I will have to say, um, so when I, I met Chris, and, and I've actually met him, Chris, I, I met you in person, like, very, very briefly, like, way before the pandemic, but we really... Um, formed a bond online by being on LinkedIn so much and just kind of getting to chat. And I think you really know people in depth. And one of the very first things that I thought about Chris was like, wow, this is someone who really loves this city. This person loves this city, maybe even more than me because the city is his employer too. And wow, like this is one of the greatest jobs in the world to to be passionate about your city and where you live. And that's absolutely how I feel about New York. I always say, you know, I'll leave New York feet first. And um, <laughs> th- and that's the truth for, um, you know, my feelings about this city. And for him to be able to work for this great city every day and to even say that, you know, you would love to work together, like to me, that would be, I mean, my best, I, I love all my clients. I love my insurance company clients, my law firm clients, but to have the city of New York as a client would be just a dream come true.
2: Oh, I can't wait for that. Uh, yeah, so. Um, I really do love the city. I think it's amazing, uh, the things that it does and the things that we can do and walk over here and see the, the ocean and over here to see the, the beautiful Hudson River. And over here to see the, the East River, which is actually beautiful too. So, um, and then we have Central Park, and yeah, so I, I do, and and I love to work with people that love the city because I know you're going to get your best effort from them and from me. And so, we're going to figure it out. We're going to, we're going <laughs> to, <laughs> and if you're ever over here, Megan, we can get you too.
0: <laughs> I remember, oh, go ahead. no, go ahead. I I was going to say, um, I ran into someone from college years ago on the subway and we were both going to the Bronx. I was going to an internship up there and, um, I, I said to her, you know, Jules, where are you going? And she said, oh, I have a job at Yankee Stadium, like I'm doing publicity for the, and I said, you know what? You're the only one, That that's the only better job than, than the city maybe, Chris, is uh, working for the Yankees. That's like dream job. But I think we'd both agree on that, right? That's, that, that's number one.
2: We agree on that. And actually, uh, I have a very close relationship with the legal staff uh, of the Yankees. Because we do, <laughs> <laughs> <I'm in. laughs> we do get screwed uh, up there and uh, we have a very, very great relationship uh, with, with the Yankees. Uh, so, not only do we have a great team and they have a great legal side who also loves the city, I would think just about as much as, as you and I. Yeah. They really, really do love the city. And of course, the Yankee fan base is from all over. Well, we have a lot of uh, New York City people that love the Yankees too, so we have a really, really uh, great relationship with with them, Sherry. So I definitely have to keep that in mind. <laughs> oh
0: keep that in mind you know hey i mean like red sox game or something at the state you're gonna there's gonna be legal problems the city's getting brought into something <laughs> i've seen lit cigarettes thrown at a boston yankee games so i uh, we, we almost need like courts up there like in philadelphia
1: at the oh United yeah games, <laughs> the stadium.
0: <laughs> yeah i think we maybe um we need some courts up there i
1: i do think that maybe they don't have that i think that was the old stadium but i could be wrong I don't know. I Not I'm a not bad in, idea. <laughs> yeah, it might not be a terrible idea to have that in pretty much in any stadium.
2: And speaking of Philadelphia, I remember, uh, I'm, I'm a football fan too, and I remember years ago in a game, the fans there were throwing snowballs at, at uh, Santa Claus.
1: Yeah, that is is that <laughs> that is the story. <laughs> I couldn't believe I would throw snowballs at Santa Claus. Well, maybe they didn't get what they wanted that year.
2: <laughs> yeah, they were losing, and they weren't going they but I love Philadelphia. It's 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 a beautiful city. It, people have this image of it, but it's actually a, a beautiful city.
1: No, no, Philly's great. Uh, and I mean, I'm not a Philly native, so I didn't grow up here or anything. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm very very happy with it. I think it has you know has everything that I I need at least. So. Um, and thinking of that, just in general, city is defending you know, Philadelphia or the city of New York, like, and this might be more directed to, to Sherry, but Chris, I'd love for you to chime in too. Like, how do you humanize a city? Because you hear a lot about humanizing corporations. You know, do you, when the city is a defendant, do you, do you draw the jurors into the things that they just love or they should love about the city? Because it, it's different, right? Than an independent corporation.
0: I think it is a much easier thing to do to humanize a city than to humanize a corporation, for sure. Um, we like the, the city I think of as a person already. I may not think of a corporation necessarily as a person, but as a long time New Yorker, I certainly think of the city as a person and like right now. I I weep for the city. Like when the pandemic hit last year, I was sad for the city. So I'm already coming in with that bias where I'm almost even, I would say, through everything we've been through to the day-to-day things like the aggravation of, oh, that subway is taking too long and look how crowded it is. And it just is kind of standing still. You just sort of look at amaze, like around amazement, like you have all of these people, like how are things not going to go a little wrong? You have crowds of people you have as chris said um like 20 million tourists when we're not in a pandemic environment and i think just explaining that and you already have a jury who understands that for the most part maybe you know not if they're a transient person and you'd want to like suss that out and voir dire but if they are a person that has lived here um I remember one judge said after 10 years you're a real New Yorker so and 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 I think I was upset I had only like lived like for eight years or something and I was like oh my god like I hope nobody like finds this out so um but anyway I think people are very understanding I mean there are some crazy things that happens Chris sees them a lot more than I do, like like a branch of a tree um, can break off and, and it has in parks after storms and has like hurt people or killed people or scaffolding falls or just like really um, terrible things. Like the, I think last year the, and I don't know if the city was brought in, there was like some, like a brick fell on a woman's head. I mean, like these unbelievable stories but I think it's just that much easier to humanize the city than it is the construction company or the, um, you know, if it's a corporation that gets pulled into a suit because people really understand if they've lived here, what this city's been through. And I think you think of the city as a person. I know I think of the city as a person and I, um, you know, like, right now it's not going through a great time. And there's, I mean, there's like garbage like all over the street mm. and construction and I don't get angry, I get sad. So um, there's a big emotional component and I think it is a lot easier to humanize a city to a jury of people that live there than a corporation. I, you know, I'm curious as to Chris's perspective.
2: Uh, I, I agree 100% with you uh, in that regard. Uh, uh, for example, the city is required by statute to do, above and beyond, provide services for the homeless uh, here. And we have a, a, a problem with, with that. Uh, we are spending, at I count, almost $3 billion a year to come up with solutions, you know. Uh, you you want to have shelters, I have lots of, uh, several shelters up where I live, uh, but a lot of people don't want those in the neighborhood. We, we, we have to, it was so bad, and it's still pretty bad, that we have uh, turned hotels into shelters, or we've, we've contracted with hotels that uh, will temporarily provide uh, shelter for, for the homeless. Uh, until the pandemic until we survive through that so uh the city is doing so much more to provide service for the for the homeless and mentally ill in fact i I had a case uh where uh the city of denver my hometown sent a homeless lady to new york they they bought her a bus ticket they said new york's gonna do way more for you than than we will and you need to go there and so she had, She came to New York, moved into a shelter, got into a fight, and sued us. There you go. But you, you can't know, even make that stuff. <laughs> you, you can't make it up. It's, it's so wild. Wow. But you can talk about uh, the different services that the city does and, and, and tries to provide to to uh, a New Yorker, uh, especially on a trial. And a lot of people know that. They may not know the extent of of what the city is doing, but they realize that this is their city and they're doing the best that they can to address all of the various things that can happen in in the city. Whereas if you have, and I know you guys have insurance companies, and and I actually have great relationships with a lot of insurance companies. But it's it's much easier to say, well, I'm going to sue ABC Insurance because Everybody knows what insurance does, and you know nobody has great sympathy for them versus uh, the city. So, yeah, I think you can humanize that and use that to your advantage or disadvantage if there's a yeah. problem uh, with the city.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a it's a great point too, because you know you really are you're highlighting to to a jury that this is this is the place that you. you love. And I think a lot of it comes down to like what, what Sherry was talking about earlier with how, how you pick that that jury and how, how you find, you know, the people who truly are true to like from the city. They have to be there for, I guess, 10 years, right? And that's check the box as number for the one. Ju-
0: as per the judge. <laughs> the
1: first question of one year, how long have you lived here? <laughs> 10 years or longer. <laughs> so, but one of the challenges, um, Switching gears real quick. One of the challenges that I, I, at least I see on my end for for you, Chris, as you know, the city just has just a sheer volume of cases. And you know, how are your attorneys able to give their cases attention or that much attention when they just have stacks and stacks of cases to attend to?
2: No, that's a great uh, question. We have right now around twenty-one thousand open cases. Uh, and we have about 900 lawyers, and so to do the yeah. they're they're swamped. Yeah, so they um, they work hard. We have great lawyers here, uh, but that workload is pretty heavy for them. So I think that the average lawyer coming here, let's say out of law school, probably averages around four years. Um, they have to stay for three, and then. Um, they can leave. And uh, I think mostly because that's just an intense workload. And you uh, may not get the, the uh, be able to provide the attention uh, to a case, particular case that you would want. Having said that, the, they do a pretty good job. You know, part of what I do is get referrals from our in house uh, lawyers on cases they think, you know, there might be insurance. And I'm just coming. Bombarded all the time uh, with that. And I'm like that happened in, in 12 years ago. Now you're to kind of like me, and I'm like, well, you know, we we're just reviewing this, and I'm like, you know, it's, it's not their fault. It's just round for me, and we try. So, uh, one thing I do like is when I do get coverage, I can give it to an outside firm, where they will have a dedicated attorney to that case or two, uh, and they can put a lot more. Time and attention into the case than uh, than what we could, and so um, and you know there's the billable hours aspect where they're gonna they're gonna work that case, um, and so you, you you get that. So I try and move as many cases as I can from internally, uh, externally to to outside via insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So are you looking a lot of the times looking at almost like a risk transfer situation that. Um, that there, there's coverage for, so you can get out of the, under the city's umbrella, so to speak?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's that's probably my, my number one priority. And, and part of that is because we pay these contractors billions of dollars. And, and any um, contractor that is worth their salt is going to include in their bid the cost of insurance. And so this is why I tell insurance companies when they're mad at me. Like, why are you coming to me? I'm like, well, we paid ABC Construction $10 billion to build a tunnel uh, for us. Of that $10 billion, $1 billion was for insurance. So I'm actually paying you, ins- insurance company, to, to defend us. You should be honored. And you're like, well, if you want to put it that way, but no. <laughs> so we will, have a, we will have that discussion, but it's true. Your insurance costs are, are, are input into your bid. And so uh, you're the named insurer, but you're required to make us additional insured for anything that happens that arose from your work. And so most of these, especially labor law claims or if you're building a school for us and teacher falls on some construction degree, I'm going to say we're additional insured, mm-hmm. and we should be covered for that. And, and a lot of the, most insurance companies will say, okay, okay we, we never buy that. It can, get, it can get complex because they can say it wasn't us, it was a subcontractor to the subcontractor, or a plumber or a carpenter or something. And i like, that's fine, I can try for them, but the contract is with you. And so right. you should pick this up and then you should do the risk transferring right. down, down the line and I will assist you. But number one, it's going to be on you.
1: Yeah, and any time with those uh, construction contracts, though, it gets it does get complicated because it is always a sub of a sub of a sub, and then like it, without a doubt, the last sub has no insurance. Like, it, it's just it's just how it flows. It's like insured, 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 zero.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Some of these carriers that uh, will uh, provide coverage to uh, the sub of a sub of a sub. We'll say there's no insurance for anybody outside of you and for you there's barely insurance mm-hmm. so for when I come to them they're like well there's an employee exclusion I'm like what <laughs> an employee exclusion for the work that they're doing so then I'll have to point to the, the contractor above that sub and say well you know this is what they did so it's on you so it, it can get pretty complex yes yeah I- interesting I-
1: it, very interesting. I, I touch on coverage sometimes. I've I've even had situations where I've tendered um, to a snow removal contractor, and then the snow removal co- contractor comes back. He's well, I have insurance, but I have an exclusion for snow removal. I was like, who, who was reviewing your policies when you signed the dotted line? <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, this is this is your business. <laughs> you know, and a lot of these guys, uh, especially guys at that level, but even some of the medium to to large. Uh, contractors don't know much about insurance, so what do they do? We go out and get a broker. And, you know, um, so then a case like that, I'm like, your broker did not do a good job. We can't sue them because we're not a party to that, that contract, but you can. Mm-hmm. And, and then they they will do that. But I, I don't typically like to, to sue brokers because I think most of them are are doing yeah. a good job. But you do have... Uh, there's no way that a, a snow removal company would have, should have an exclusion for snow removal. No. <laughs> but it it You're right.
1: yeah. yes. They know That should definitely not be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I just want to close up on uh, a little off topic of the what we've been talking about. Um, so, you know, Chris, I know I know you love love New York and you, and you love what you do, but. Uh, what do you do outside of work? Like, what, what, do you, what else brings you joy in life? And uh, share your next, to so start thinking.
2: me? <laughs> uh, I love sports. So I, I love going to a Yankees game or I love basketball. I love going to a Knicks game. Brooklyn over here, they, they've got a great team. I love doing that. Uh, I have softball teams here at work and basketball teams and volleyball teams. And I love doing all of that and uh just taking walks there's some new york is a very walkable city so i love just walking wherever through the neighborhoods and and meeting people and seeing things and i I have two kids two uh two daughters and and i love them Mm um i try i try although i work like 10 12 hours sometimes but most people tell me i have a life that's not true (laughs) i do try and moderate Things and, and do a lot of different things uh, outside of, of the job.
1: And and I, I don't know if this is your flag. Is that a is that a Steelers flag behind you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's an alliance banner, and I have a friend that works in the insurance company. She's a huge Steelers fan. Okay. And and she said, well, I'm going to send you a Steelers uh, towel. And I said send it, I'll put it up. And sure enough, she she sent it. And and I wish she I hope she's looking at this podcast <laughs> so she can see there it is.
1: I just want I wanted to see if I like if you're being really truthful about your love for New York, but yes, Pittsburgh as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a, I'm a Denver Broncos fan, of course. Well, it's they're, they're number one, but then the Giants and, and the Jets, and then you know, I look at other teams too. I made that promise her and so uh she will see
1: that well i hope she i hope she tunes in and sees it you're gonna have to tag her in the comments i will (laughs) (laughs) how about you sherry
0: what do i like to do for fun outside of work um linkedin is that no that that doesn't count is that work (laughs) okay no i do i love my linkedin crew and um just chatting it up and having a good time. But um, like Chris, I love walking around the city. I love walking around New York. Every morning I take a walk in Central Park or sometimes I walk at Carl Schurz Park, which is near where I live. Um, It's a great walkable city and it's just very historical and you can learn so much. And I just love walking around. Um, I also am a big reader. So you can usually find me reading. Sometimes I'll just be on a park bench and one of our beautiful parks and reading when the weather's nice and I have ten year old twins. So yeah. that is like a pretty busy endeavor <laughs> as well.
1: Yeah, actually you're in a different location today. Usually you have your bookshelf behind you and I'm always know. trying to read you know all what? your But they're fine.
0: they're home they're homeschooling today. So <laughs> Yes, they are, they are homeschooling, but just circling back to their New York City public schools. And, you know, this is something like we had, we had to understand like what New York City, what the schools were dealing with. So, you know, there were people getting angry, there were people um, upset at, you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, but I always kind of had the attitude like, wow, these are like very crowded schools anyway and everyone's doing the best they can a very unusual situation and um we're doing okay we're going back to school the 15th for five days so go new york city public schools
1: great to hear
0: and then i'll be in front of the bookshelf more (laughs) podcasting (laughs) Get in my bedroom
1: well it's been a pleasure having both you on thank you so much for for joining us i i chris I can't thank you enough. I loved hearing about, you know, your career and just you know, and with both of you digging into, you know, defending a public entity and how, how, how it's just different. And uh I just and I love just hearing your stories about New York. So if you want to come on again, we could just talk about New York the whole time. I'll, easy, be, I'll, easy. I'll be happy.
0: <laughs> Have to get Steven Schenker on for that. that oh yeah. 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 Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah, sounds good. Just yeah. educate me. <laughs> 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 All right, guys, have a have a great one. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Megan. Thanks so much, Megan. Bye, Chris. Thanks, guys.
2: Nice to see you guys.